I just want to begin by paying homage to my root teachers, Roshi Diane Martin and Reverend Valsas Manski and many other teachers of the Dharma, plants, animals. Oh, I guess it isn't working. It's only working if I go like that. Maybe higher? We can, we can turn the volume up. up. Is that better? Yeah, you can turn, is that better? You can turn the volume up. Take some water. <laughs> That's louder. Okay, is that good? Yeah, that sounds pretty loud. <laughs> Just paying homage to my root teachers. Roshi Diane Martin, Reverend Valsas Mansky, um, many other important teachers, including plants and animals and children. I also want to just note that we're practicing on the land of the Nisanan people and the Miwok people and the Patlan people. And really, no one owns land. And let's just remember that today. Um, and I also want to just invite our awareness that even before we arrived, we have been participating in the unfolding of the mystery, of the undivided reality of life and death. And here we are, together, also participating in this mystery and in this very unique way. It's like we will never be here like this in this moment again. And so there's something very precious about just keeping our awareness open to the mystery that's unfolding here now. And we're here in our utter humanness. And I was remembering um, a time when I was sitting in my root sangha in Evanston, Illinois, Udambara Zen Center, and it was a one-day retreat, kind of like this. And uh, our guiding priest was Trisha Teeter. And this temple is actually was a duplex house. And the bottom of it became the zendo. And the upstairs was a kitchen and then a, a residence. And then there was a guest house. And there was a wonderful zen garden and you know platform for walking meditation. And this very, very tall wooden fence all around so no one could see over but we could hear everything Um, and we could hear everything that went down the street and right across the street was a hospital and so there's a lot of activity and by the way all of the walls in the zendo were opaque cubes of glass so it's very luminous on the inside very noisy on the outside And so one day, we were coming to the end of a sitting period, and um, there was a couple right outside on the corner, and we could hear that they were engaged in a very intense argument, because they were yelling sort of an amazing awakening, really, because everybody had a different perceptual story that they already created. 
in that moment. Um, it's so fascinating how quickly each of us created mental activity um, and our minds work like this. I mean, immediately, if we're in a situation, thoughts come in, we have perceptions that we think are really true, we have emotions, images, they all arrive in a multiplicity, almost immediately, creating worlds. So some of you know Beth Jacobs, who's a kind of Dharma sister of mine, and she did some workshop here on uh, writing as a spiritual practice. She's also written a book on the art of the Dharma. So she says that the Abhidharma, which is an ancient text that sort of lays out the structure of reality and the structure of the mind, she says, human beings have, she says, the Abhidharma says, human beings have profound instability and ethical volatility. And Hakuan says, if you want to realize your true nature, you have to know what it means to be human. Another way of saying this is to talk about the mutability of life. We live in the truth of the constant change of conditions. But this isn't the whole story. Yet, I'm offering that we need to practice with meticulous care to allow our humanness to fully manifest with great awareness and great compassion that we need to pay attention exactly. And by staying with the exact contents that are arising and passing, something new actually passes through. So, of course, we all know it's our human tendency to want to know, to forget, that our perceptions are socially conditioned. We want to arrive. We don't want any more challenges or struggles. We want to create categories. Cut the pie, so to speak, into parts. But all of this human activity resides in the unfolding of the living mystery, the Dharma, our Buddha nature. So just to give you another example, just this past week something happened in my family that immediately brought up this deep feeling of disappointment. Um, and actually wild reactivity followed. Inside me I screamed, no! What if we can't go visit our family? Anger, anxiety, blame, it all came like at once. Uh, yet what was striking to me was I remembered to be exquisitely present and aware, noticing exactly each reaction that came up. Not jump out of it, each one exactly, so that each one would have a little bit of its own way. And it took this pause to actually see how vast my mental formations became, like in, like in a nanosecond, really. So, but once I noticed this, the space opened up, and, I, and, and this little subtle thought snuck in. So many people in the world are experiencing disappointments. So many people, not me, 
It's not just unique to me. And my suffering started to let go. You know, think of all the people in the world who are experiencing disappointments. So this little subtle thought sneaking in really needed us to practice with great awareness. We want to be aware of the, our reactivity, our social conditioning, our context, and all of that. But we also want to be aware of what might come in outside our social conditioning. Like the Jewel Samadhi says, so fine it fits into spacelessness. So great it is utterly beyond location. This mystery of the undivided reality. So if we're not aware in this way, we become victims of our own reactivity and create worlds around it and are driven by needing to know and control. So often we talk about not knowing, but my teacher's given me this different way of saying it. Instead of saying not knowing, let's say non-knowing. Because if you really pay attention, not knowing has a slight edge of greed in it. Like, I really wish I knew. So there's still a little bit of striving that can get triggered in us if we say not knowing. But not knowing, non-knowing, is the mystery. Mystery is unknowable, all-pervasive, includes everything, alive and moving life forward, and we participate in it. We're not in control of it, and we're not distinct from it. So in this meticulous awareness, our minds awaken. We live in the boundless context of that moment. And now, the mind that opens isn't dependent anymore on stimulation or the rushing in of mental constructs. So, obviously, we're here to practice Zazen. And Dogen says, This practice of Zazen has been established as the authentic gate. The Dharma is abundantly present in each human being, but if we don't practice it, it does not manifest itself, and if we don't experience it, it can't be realized. So this it's our practice life that realizes the unfolding of the mystery. So I've been helped by working with Zengi, Zenki, classical by Dogen, and um, Kokyo Henko came here a while ago and gave a whole day's um, sit teaching from the Zenki. And so I've learned a lot from him. Um, but if you remember or know well here now that Zen of Zenki means whole or total. And ki is basically how this Zen, this wholeness, actually works. It's sort of like the machinery of life and death and potential. And so together, Zen key is the process of our human being alive. So in one translation, it says, life is the manifestation of the whole works, and death is the manifestation of the whole works. 
and, and Cleary, this is Cleary's translation, says, there is nothing at all, not so much as one time or one phenomenon that is not together with life. Even be it a single thing, a single mind, none is not together with life. None is not together with life. Everything is part of the mysterious whole without any sides. And what's important to me is that this inherent wholeness, which has no sides, also means that nothing cancels out anything else. So this is the kind of an aliveness about our human condition, because whatever's coming in that's part of our our reactivity doesn't obstruct the aliveness of the Dharma coming through. Uh, nothing can obstructs anything else. So um, maybe you've heard the story about Dogo and Zengen who went to a house where someone had died to show sympathy, and Zengen hit the coffin and asked, alive or dead? Dogo replied, won't say alive, won't say dead. Zengen demanded, why won't you say? Dogo repeated, I won't say. I won't say. Alive or dead, I won't say. And then, the translation goes on to say, this being so, the undivided activity of birth and death, this is realization in vast, wondrous light. And I had this experience a couple of weeks ago. I co-led a Jesus ceremony at Green Gulch Farm. And some of you are familiar with that ceremony where we create an offering for a loved one who has died and go through a ceremony presenting this at the altar. And so there were many people there who were grieving the the death of a loved one. And it was palpable in in the whole experience of creating these offerings. And then we made prayer flags, and we walked, processed to the Jiso Garden, which is kind of far in the garden, the Jiso at at, uh, Gringold Farm. And people hung their flags, and we had this circle, and were sort of together at the end, and I looked around, and it was really amazing because everybody's eyes were sparkling. It just was like this, the realization of the vast, wondrous light when we were together in this mystery of how life itself and death itself is the manifestation of everything, and everything's undivided. So this, this energy and sparkle was was alive in everybody. Um, Sometimes it's said that as bodhisattvas we live on the bottom of the ocean developing sea legs, standing upright in the muddy waters like a lotus plant. This is what it's about, being in our utter humanness our own reactivity and standing in our zazen and receiving what comes through the infinite. Um, 
So, um, in some ways, this might feel kind of abstract, and um, I've learned from the Prajnaparamita Sutra uh, little, some qualities of this mystery, some qualities of the, um, the wisdom that comes through our practice. And this has been helpful to me to kind of get a sense of how to orient myself, how to get my sea legs, I guess, in this practice. And so um, in this Prajnaparamita Sutra, I say that the wisdom is of the Dharma is incomparable. It's unsuitable for comparison. So whatever is arising is its own precious truth. And you don't want to evaluate it by comparing, or you don't want to compare yourself to someone else. So, so hearing that, then we notice when we get caught in comparison. Because we, we do. And when you sort of notice this, then you can be meticulously aware. Let it be, and then let it go. This prajna, this paramita of wisdom is also illimitable. It cannot be limited. It's boundless, infinite, timeless. Space. So you could say, when do I let go into space? This wisdom is incalculable. Each moment is so great it can't be counted or measured in any way. And even just when we're walking Kinyin, and if we're open to just this and our foot taking a step on the ground and understand that moment is incalculable. This wisdom is also inconceivable and here you can feel the mystery coming in. It cannot be conceived. We're talking about unknowing. It's incredible. It's impossible. It's unpredictable. So we can't notice when we're trying to predict something about our lives. Well, I think probably this will happen, or maybe that will happen. We try to calculate. We try to look ahead and evaluate. All of those things take us out of the mystery of the inconceivable. We also might say, when, what do you think is impossible for your life? Um, that's another way that we kind of constrict ourselves or stay in our patterns and our assumptions. So this talk, I guess, is um, an invitation to let go into the unfolding of the mystery and to be intimate with whatever's arising. See your mind states as they arise and cultivate the ease of non-knowing. And once you let go, you're not holding on to anything. And you begin to see that this unfolding is, is a natural unfolding. Um, nothing to to figure out or try. So, and when this happens, these moments of the 
tapestry unfolding and your awareness of it, you can notice the stillness that's there. And then follow the stillness. Let let yourself go with the stillness that's there. And witness the joy that often arrives in those moments. Because of those moments, we are aligned completely with the wholeness of life. So, for the rest of this day, rest in the spaciousness of the mystery unfolding. And, gate, gate, para gate, parasangate, bodhi, spa. For your comment, uh, your quote, oh. I'm struck by the quote uh, you made from uh, Beth Jacobs. Yes. Uh, that uh, human beings are inherently unstable and volatile. Mm-hmm. And uh, just made me think that um, you know, the, our practice, we, what, we, what we practice is, is stability. You know, so we. Uh, we uh, sit uh, in, in, in a kind of uh, counter uh, <laughs> counter uh, movement to our um, inherent tendencies, mm-hmm. and um, and then that creates a dynamic place for us to encounter um, our inherent stability and volatility. And uh, see what happens, and see uh, how uh, these two interact and uh, merge. Yeah, I like what you said when you say "see what happens," because that's the door that we're sort of resting in with openness, with both sides um, held in a sense, not. Negating either side. I think your mic is not high enough or something. I'm not hearing. I liked I liked what what you said. You said, "See what happens." It's like we're just resting in this sort of in the ocean, getting our sea legs, but sitting upright, and you know, all of the reactivity, all of the stuff comes in. Uh, it just comes in and. And if we stay just exquisitely with exactly what's coming in, not go go out in terms of making a further story or taking it into what you're going to do next or let the mind go, but just stay exquisitely with, you know, I just stayed with the screen, no. You know, then that starts to release and you begin to notice this other dimension um, coming through. So... So it's a very uh, paying attention, but I like the word great awareness because it's not just awareness of the thoughts arising and all of that. It's the open great awareness of the unconditioned, of the prajna that's at work all the time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kathy. Lovely talk. Um, 
week, I lost my wallet. And oh, all of my ID, my, the money was the least of it. It was replacing all of the credit cards and the health card, and the insurance card, and the pass key card, and all of that. So I said, well, you know, I'll start doing that. So um, I was going through that process, and I thought, well, you know, I think I'm going to go back to the place where I lost it. See if I can find it again. And it was over by the river uh, at William Pond Park. And I thought, well, you know, I'm going to go back again one more time because maybe someone found it and it had my wallet. It was one of those RFI wallets that keep people from scanning your, your credit cards. So I thought, well, maybe if someone did pick it up and they took my money out of it, that's fine. But maybe they threw it in the garbage after that, and at least I could go back and find the wallet. Uh, and so I started to go out my front door, and this is like three days later, and I noticed that there was a um, an envelope on my, on my, stuck in my front door, so I went around, took it off, and it was um, a letter inside from um, the office manager at the uh, American River Parkway Foundation saying that he had found my wallet. Oh my goodness. So I drove over and, and picked it up there and everything was inside. Someone had picked it up and, and had given it back. So um, I was sitting, as I was sitting there, I had all of a sudden thought, oh my God, where did I put my purse? <laughs> and all of that came back. And, and I thought, you know what, I need to let go of this thought because I'm, that's what I'm doing, is trying to learn how to let go. And it was um, the thought of the kindness of the uh, gentleman who had driven all the way over to my house uh, and left a note uh, telling me that my wallet was there. Just let it, I just have to sit right now, just let all of this go, wherever the purse is, the purse is. And, just be now. And that was such a wonderful practice for me to do that. And it was, I think, the juxtaposition of the two events because my wallet came back to me whole and I met a wonderful person who was so exceedingly kind to me to drive clear over to my house. So it was two things. Um, you know, I, my wallet was returned and a wonderful person gave me a, 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 just an amazing kindness in the process. So that's what I need to do now is just let go. So yes, it does work. Yes, it was sort of you know the inconceivability mm -hmm. of this mystery. I mean, look what unfolded and happened when your mind would think, oh, I'll never find my wallet, and I have to do blah 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 blah. But something kept unfolding. And now maybe that experience is deepening your your faith. Or and I also have now have duplicates of everything. <laughs> I have a duplicate driver's license, duplicate credit cards. <laughs> yes, that other side. So even better. It's even better. better. It's Well, uh, I guess it goes 
see the mask. Um, thank you also for a lovely talk and talking some sense into me. I needed that. Um, but there might be a sort of intermediary, intermediate stage where you can immerse sort of in suffering in one kind of relative level and also have that awareness of the exquisite oneness. So I don't know. I was in that state a few months ago and my practice was better. And it was amazing because I was suffering, yet I was aware that it was another dimension. Yes, right. Oh, yes, you're saying something really important that we were not here to calculate and talk ourselves out of something, thinking we should be somewhere else, <laughs> like I should let go of this or whatever. You know, to be with what's arising, which it sounds like you were dwelling with. And, and in this great awareness. Not deny the suffering, yet have that awareness. Yes. A little peak. Yes, and already something changed. Yeah, just in that. I'm not there now, but I was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, it's hard, I think, sometimes to communicate that this isn't a prescription of what you should do, you know. This is all about awareness practice and allowing, you know, whatever is here to be met. You know, my scream, oh no. <laughs> my blame, you know, just have it be met. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you so much for the talk. And uh, it reminded me how Pele Chodron says about becoming grounded in groundlessness. Mm-hmm. And I love that phrasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the mind is like, no, I don't like that. Um, and also that sometimes impermanence is painful, but sometimes impermanence is good news. Um, this idea of moving beyond that nothing is impossible in my life, but moving beyond. Um, how childhood experiences still affect me today. Sometimes that seems impossible. Um, but that's what the side of environment that's good news, that's not impossible. Um, and I remember recently being here, and part of the talk was about how hindrances and obstacles are not real. Um, they're in the mind. So I think that, for me, I really did affect that other talk. And I've been having a lot of like physical pain, different symptoms, and I believe all of that is related to emotions and energy coming up in the body. And um, just trying everything is not going away. And so this idea that it's not impossible to finally be free of that. Um, the positive side of impermanence is something that came up in me. Yeah, okay. The positive side of impermanence. Yes. And it sounds like even just that thought makes a difference. It's not like you have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to, since I have a minute, because there was another uh, experience. I, and I guess, Sarah, your experience is reminding me of it. Whatever the, the thing is, you know, I lost my wallet or whatever. 
so life keeps unfolding. So Sarah went to the back to the preserve and looked around, and something was guiding her that way. And so there's a way that we follow these things too. There's movement, and I had, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone's distressed about what's happening in Israel and Palestine, and I was feeling a lot of despair, and yet I was talking to my husband, and we were just having these, like, conversations about it, and we can talk about it, and nothing seemed to help. And then all of a sudden, I just went like this. I just held my hand, my head, and I don't even know why I did that. So it sort of, I felt like the ministry was moving my hands to hold my head. And I just held my head like this. And it felt like it, it helped. I felt like I got back in my body somehow. But then I remembered, and I had forgotten that Tetnat Han wrote a poem during the Vietnam War. And uh, that is exactly that. I hold my face in my two hands. No, I'm not crying. I hold my face in my two hands to keep the loneliness warm, two hands protecting, two hands nurturing, two hands preventing my soul from leaving me in anger. And it was just, okay, so somehow the movement brought me back to that poem. Um, that I did remember, but I'd forgotten. And so I guess that's part of the mystery. How how does all of this unfold so that we experience healing and kindness and um, clarity? So. Well, could you read the poem one more time? Yes. With the mic up. Maybe hold it just for the pump. It's called Four Warmth. I hold my face in my two hands. No, I'm not crying. I hold my face in my two hands to keep the loneliness warm. Two hands protecting. Two hands nourishing. Two hands preventing my soul from leaving me in anger. Mm. 